Okay, guys, we're in chapter 5 of 1 John. Uh, we're in lesson 17, so we're kind of winding down. Next week, we'll finish up chapter 5, and then we're going to spend one week in the letter, the second epistle of John, and then one week in the third epistle of John. So we've got uh, three more weeks, and then we're done with our, our, our uh, study in 1 John. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about, let me just kind of kind of summarize some things to you, where, where we've been going, because it's kind of winding down and the letter's kind of showing us that. We've been talking about a lot of different things. Number one, we've been talking about, John has really been hitting on a couple of main themes here. Number one, he's not into people claiming to be something that they don't live. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's into, if you're going to say you love Jesus and you're a Christian and whatever, if your life doesn't show it, he uses the word over and over. Anybody know what the word is? Well, he doesn't use the word hypocrite. That's not the word he uses. What's the word that John uses? You're a what? A liar. Now, we don't like that, but that's the reality. See, if the thing is, if you're going to go around and tell people you're, you believe in Jesus, but you live a different way, you're, you're a liar. And we've all met folks like that. We maybe have been there ourselves. The other thing he says is, is that if you say you love Jesus, but you don't love other people, specifically other fellow Christians, he again uses that same word to describe you as a what? You're a liar. You don't know Christ. You're not, because if you know Jesus and his love is perfected in you, you're not going to be belligerently mean. Do you know what I'm saying? You're not going to be a mean, grumpy person. Okay? Now, I understand there are days when we're grumpy. Okay? I, even I'm grumpy some days. I'm on the borderline of grumpiness today after a week of camp. Okay? All right? So I'm, I'm controlling my grumpiness. All right? But if you're in a constant state of grumpiness, like that's when, when somebody sees you, oh, there's the old grump. You know what I'm saying? There's a problem. Okay? There's a problem, especially if you're going around telling everybody, oh, I love Jesus, you're going to come to church with me. And most people are going to look at you and come to church and be like you. Forget it. Okay? So that's what we've been hitting on a lot. It's about the reality of your life. John's been hitting on that. So here we're going to talk today about knowing eternal life. How can you and I know that we know eternal life, that we're believers? So let's look, first of all, at the command in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 5. Look at what he says. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Okay, so let's talk about this. First of all, the command to love. First thing John wants you to see here is this. Belief in the deity of Jesus Christ reveals the new birth. So if you believe, he says, in Jesus, the Christ is born of God. If you believe that he is the Son of God, you believe he is God, the deity of Jesus, his supremacy. That is an evidence in your life 
that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you are saved. Do you understand? That's one of the evidences right there. One of the evidences. Okay? Now, here's the other point. Now, he's, he, the way he says it, it's kind of like, what is he talking about here? It's kind of confusing. Okay? Look at what he says. And anyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. What? Let me, let me just decipher it for you. If you love God... You'll love his son, Jesus Christ. That's the reality. If you truly love God, you'll love his son, Jesus. That's what he's saying here. So let me just stop for a moment. You may want to mark this down in your notes. This is one of the places in the Bible where the exclusiveness of salvation to Jesus Christ alone is emphasized. Because you'll hear people all the time, and they'll say they love God, and they'll say, when you'll say to them, well, what about Jesus? Oh, well, he's okay, but we don't really need Jesus to love somebody, love God. I can love God without Jesus. Yeah, there are people who feel that way. But the Apostle John is saying here, look, if you truly love God, you're going to love his son. You're going to love his son, the one he begot. So if you love God, you're going to love his son. Do you understand what I'm saying? And here's the point. (coughs) Here's the reality. Theologically and reality-wise, you have to. Why? Because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're one. The Trinity. One God existing in three distinct persons. So to love one, you have to love the other. You can't love them without each other. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this is what he's emphasizing here. So here's the source of love. Loving God and keeping his commandments is the source of our love for each other. So, okay, so he tells me over and over in this letter that we've been reading that I need to love you, warts and all, okay? Now, it doesn't, uh, just stop for a moment. That means some of you might say, well, you mean I can't be ticked off at somebody? No, no, it's okay. We, we rub each other wrong, okay? But you can't live in a state of being ticked off at each other, in a state of bitterness, okay? Or in a state of, of an attitude all the time, okay? Do you know what I mean? Because if you do, there's a problem. Okay, if you think about your relationships and your marriage, if, you know, in, in a normal marriage, you're going to have conflict. Everybody understand that? Okay? There, there are no such things as perfect marriages where nobody ever fights. You have some sort of conflict on some level somewhere. Okay? Now, here's the scoop. If you are in a constant state in your marriage of conflict, and you're not, it's not like, a, like there's no breathing room in there, there's a problem. Everybody understand that? Okay, and that's why a lot of marriages disintegrate. It's the same thing's true in our human relationships. If if you if you love God, it's going to come out of your life. And if you're just constantly grumpy and mean towards people, and 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 it's like stay away from that person or whatever. I mean, I remember, I mean, remember years ago when Lori and I first got married. This point has to be twenty years ago. We went to her home church. And there was a 90-year-old woman there that everybody was scared of. I mean, she was just mean, miserable old lady. Her name was Mary. 
And she kind of reminded me of my great-grandmother, who was mean and miserable. Okay? But I took a shining to Mary, and I'd come up to Mary, and I'd say, How you doing today, Mary? As many people as I can. And I'd say to her, Well, that's not a nice way for a Christian to act. And she'd just laugh and go sit down. You know what I'm saying? And, and here I ended up doing things like going over. She was a widow. She lived in a little cabin, and she heated with wood. So I went over and stacked all her wood so she could get it easy during the winter and stuff and, and sit down and have coffee with her. Now, she's 90 years old, okay? I'm 27, all right? And I remember one time we're having, having a Coke or something, and I'm talking with her, and she says, you know, we're going to have to quit meeting this way. And I said, Why? People are going to talk. I said, you're old enough to be my great-grandmama. I don't think anybody's going to talk, Mary. Okay? But what ended up happening, she ended up softening because somebody loved her back. Do you understand what I'm saying? But the whole problem is, is that if you're in a constant state of anchorness, you're not revealing who you are as a believer. Okay? And so loving God... And keeping his commandments, he says very clearly, doing what God tells you to do is the source of the love that we have for each other. Now, doing what God tells you to do, let me get to define that a little bit. Because sometimes in church, we, uh, we sometimes gather a bunch of stuff and rules and stuff that really have no basis in what God told us to do. When we talk about doing what God commands, we're talking about what he says in his Bible for you to do. But what has happened over time is is that some preacher came along somewhere or some group of people decided to add things, and they would say, well, it's in the Bible, but if you ask them, and, and this is what your teenagers would do, they'll say, well, show me. Uh, you know, it's in the Bible. Well, that doesn't work with teenagers, okay? It doesn't work with me either. But the reality is some of the rules that we came up with, like don't go to this place and don't go to the movie house and, and uh, don't do this, don't, you know, don't eat here or, or you, know, you can't, can't dress a certain way or no facial hair and all that stuff, is just man-made stuff. And I'll be honest with you, that kind of stuff does not contribute to you loving other people. If anything, that legalism contributes to the problem of animosity towards other people. Do you understand what I'm saying? But if you do what God tells you to do in his word, that's going to help you love other people. Why? Because the stuff God tells you to do in his word ultimately is directed at your heart and your character and who you are as a person. And if you adjust your life in the areas that God tells you to do as who you are, that's going to be evident in the way that you interact with other people. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's going to be evident in the way that you interact with other people. And as you begin to realize who you are and deal with it because you're being obedient to what God tells you to do, you're going to be able to what? Love other people. Do you understand what I'm saying? Love other people. Okay? So here's love expressed. Here's how we express our love. Loving God is keeping his commandments. 
Again, I've already told you what those commandments are. It's what he tells you in God's word. It's not what some guy came up with a rule for you to do as far as going to church. Okay? In fact, Jesus said this, John 14, 5. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus said that. That's right from Jesus. If you love me, keep my commandments. Do what I'm telling you to do. So, but then he goes one step further. John tells us that his commandments are not burdensome. Because immediately some of you are going to be thinking, holy cow, man. Was God a cosmic killjoy? He's going to make my life miserable. I mean, I mean, it's going to take away all the fun, you know. And No, you know what? Jesus said, I have come that you may have it, what, abundantly. Take my yoke upon you, for it's easy. When you think about some of the stuff that we impose as churches on our folks, it's burdensome, isn't it? I mean, the guilt, and I, mean, I remember living in guilt about not doing things, and then I, after, I, after I was able to understand the Scripture and grow up a little bit, I realized, why am I feeling guilty that I'm not there every Sunday? Like, I felt guilty when I got sick and I wasn't there, like, is God some sort of taskmaster who gets angry because you get sick and you didn't make it to church? No. In fact, I think most people would appreciate if you don't show up to church sick. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, or, or you didn't take vacation so you could be at church? I mean, he does talk about a Sabbath rest, about getting rest and relaxation. Do you understand what I'm saying? We make things so burdensome as far as the Christian life. No wonder nobody wants to have anything to do with your Jesus. Do you understand? So he's saying, look, if you're going to keep his commandment, that's really loving God, but it's not burdensome. And he goes one step further, and he talks about it this way. Those who have experienced the new birth have overcome the world. Because here's the thing. Some of you would be struggling. You'd say, man... Yeah, but I'm trying to do what Jesus told me to do, and I'm always ending up falling on my face, George. I'm always messing up. I'm always struggling. Why even bother? Well, John's going to take it one step further because he probably anticipated it. Because he probably anticipated it. Some of you are going to say, well, there's no way I can keep them. Even if I just do what Jesus said, there's no way I could keep it. Let me go ahead and tell you right now, you can't. Well, then why are you telling me to do it? Because he, through you, allows you to do it. He, through you, allows you to do it. God's Spirit, through you, empowering you, allows you to be able to do what God's calling you to do. And one of the things that he wants you to help you to understand is that as you attempt to do it, recognize you've already overcome. You've already got the victory. It's a sure thing. Yeah, you might fall down a few times. You might fall down many times. But pick yourself up and keep progressing on. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because here's the thing. You know what? I think that, you know, we're, we're very sensitive here in our ministry to people who struggle with addictions. Because we recognize that all of us can struggle with addictions. Do you understand that? And so we're, and so I remember as a new Christian, I got saved when I was 19, didn't come from a Christian home, and I had a smoking habit, folks, that I started at age 12. Okay? 
Um, and I remember giving up cigarettes, and it took a whole year to give up cigarettes. But I am thankful that when I stop, I would do stuff like this. Some of you maybe can relate to this. I'd stop, and then something would happen, maybe stress or something, and, and I'd go, and I remember, I specifically remember being on the campus of the University of South Carolina, and I'd go to the bookstore, and I had my pack of Marlboros there. Well, they had a pack of marbles. It wasn't mine yet, okay? And, and I bought them, and I go out, and I rip, the, rip off my second, pull out my cigarette, and light the first one, take a few puffs, wouldn't even smoke it, and I feel convicted. Like, I thought you were going to stop. Well, I just messed up. And so you got this wrestling match. Well, should you just keep going? And something's saying to you, no, you can do this. So then I take that cigarette, stomp it out, take that pack, throw it in the garbage. That happened three different times in that year. Three different times. Stumble, pick myself up, keep going on. Stumble, pick myself, keep going on. Why? You've overcome. With the strength of the Spirit, you can do it. Did you understand what I'm saying? You can do it. That's the point. It's not burdensome. He'll help you. That's what his point here is. Now, and the source of our victory, how do I know I have that victory? It's our faith. The source that says to you that you can pick yourself up and go on and overcome and do what Jesus is asking you to do is your faith. Faith in what? Faith in yourself? No, because I really, to be honest with you, uh, I have no faith. Like if you stick me in a room filled with uh, cheeseburgers from Denny's, with the right cheddar cheese on them and, and you know, the mayonnaise and, and those beautiful buns that they have over there. And you tell me, George, you're not to eat anything today. You'll be doing I'll, I'll give you $100 if you don't eat these and touch any burger here. Don't even go up and sniff them. Just sit in the room. I already tell you I'm going to lose. That $100 is gone because I'm going to eat a burger. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm weak. I'm weak. You're weak. So I can't have faith in myself. How many of you have tried that, where you tried to do something and you just couldn't do it? No matter how many times you tried, you just couldn't do it. You can't have faith in yourself. You know what? God already knows that. He already knows that. He's telling you to put your faith in who? Jesus. My faith is in Jesus. Jesus, you said you would help me. Jesus, you said you would give me the strength. Jesus, you said you would give me victory. I need you right now. I can't do this, Jesus. Help me. Help me. And then he goes on in verse 5 and 6. Look at verse 5 and 6. This is he who came by water and by blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water but by blood and water. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Uh, look now at verse, And these three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And these three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. Okay? Now, let's talk about these real quick. Verse 5. Overcomers. So again, He's telling us that the way, the source of our victory is faith, 
Verse 5, he's going to tell you what your faith needs to be in. The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God has overcome. That's what your faith needs to be in. Not yourself. Not anybody else. But Jesus. Okay? That's how you know you've overcome. You've overcome because your faith is in Jesus. All right, look at the next one. Jesus came to us through his baptism and his death on the cross. How did he came to us? Through his baptism. Baptism there refers to his earthly ministry because that was at the beginning of his earthly ministry. So we know the testimony of who he is through his earthly ministry and through his death on the cross. That's what it's talking about there when it says by water and by blood. It's talking about by water referring to his earthly baptism, the beginning of his ministry, and through his death on the cross. All right, let's go on one step further. Jesus emphasizes here, John emphasizes here, that Jesus died on the cross. Now, he had to do this because when he's writing these folks 2,000 years ago, some of them did not believe that Jesus could die, so he didn't die on the cross. John was there. Remember, he was there when Jesus was on the cross. John flat out says, look, he died. He died. He died on the cross. So then notice, verse 6, the spirit who bears witness is truth. So when you know this, in your heart you're saying to yourself, he's God. I know he is. How you know that is because the spirit of God reveals that to you. And John's making the point right here that the spirit of God is truth. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's not going to lie to you. He's not going to deceive you. He's not going to mislead you. So then he goes on in verse 7 and 8. The Spirit bears witness who is truth. So this, you understand, it's the Holy Spirit who bears witness. Here's it. The Spirit, Jesus' earthly ministry, and the cross agree in their witness concerning him. This is the point John's making here. Forget all that textual stuff that I was telling you earlier. The point John is making here is is that the Spirit, the water, which refers to his earthly ministry, and the blood, which refers to the cross, all agree in what? Who he is. The Son of God. Now, why would you say the, the, the baptism refers to his earthly ministry and that's a witness? Well, remember what happened at the baptism. Something came on him, which was what? The dove, and there was a what? Voice, and the voice said what? This is my son. Is that a witness or what? Did you know what I'm saying? Is that a witness? Also on the Mount of Transfiguration, remember, he just took three disciples up with him. He, he showed himself in all of his glory. Moses and Elijah were there with him. And again, there was a voice from heaven who said what? This is my beloved son. This is what the, the earthly ministry, the cross, they point to who he is. Okay, let's go on now. Testimony of the Father. Look with me at verse 9 through 12. Let's read through the end here because we're going to get through this. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which has testified of his son. He who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe has made him, made him a liar, because he does not believe the testimony of God has given 
of of his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Okay, let's go on here. First of all, if you accept the witness of men, so if you accept what I'm sharing with you or what somebody else shares with you about Jesus, you've got to recognize something. Recognize that God's witness is greater. You know, I can give witness to Jesus. You can give witness to Jesus. But that's not enough. It's got to be the witness of God as well. So let me just stop for a moment. How many of you shared your faith with somebody and they just did not get it? They just didn't get it. And you you agonized over it. You thought through. You tried to answer all their questions. You tried to point them to Jesus. And you gave, you maybe did a Billy Graham and you did, I mean, you did better than Billy Graham in sharing your faith, okay? And they didn't get it. How many can relate to what I'm saying? All of us, right? Okay. Unless God works in their heart, they're not going to see it. See, while you're, while the witness of man may be great, whose is greater? God's witness. The Spirit's witness. That's the point John's making here. Okay? Let's go on. God has given witness concerning His Son. The reason why you are even able to come to the place of recognizing who He is is not because you're smart not because you got it together, not because you, you philosophically arrived at a great point of understanding and, whoo, I'm, I'm there. No, it's because God gave you the understanding. You've got to recognize that. Because why? How can you say that, George? Well, go to Romans chapter 3. No one seeks after God. Paul very clearly says, no one seeks after God. We don't want God in our lives. Okay? So, God has given a witness concerning the Son. Here's the other thing. John states that the one who believes in Jesus has an eternal witness. Anybody know what that is? Holy Spirit. You know, I, sometimes I, I deal with people and they'll, they'll wrestle and say, man, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian because I know I messed up. And, and I usually say to them, well, how do you know you messed up? Who told you you messed up? Well, you know, because I feel bad about... Why are you feeling bad? It's the Holy Spirit convicting you. If you're His child, if you know Jesus and you've come to a place of salvation, the Holy Spirit enters into your life, do you think He's going to put up with you doing wrong? No, He's going to work on you. So there's an eternal witness on the inside of you that tells you that you know Jesus or not. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's an eternal witness. That's what John's making a point here. That eternal witness is the Holy Spirit. The one who denies the deity of Jesus. Now, if you're here and you're saying, well, he's not, he's not God. I, I can't understand what you guys are talking about. Jesus isn't God. Here's what John is saying. When you say that kind of thing, he's not calling you a liar. He's saying, you make God a liar. You're saying the testimony that God is giving concerning his son 
and his deity and who he is is false. You make him a liar. Well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to make God a No, but here's the thing. If you deny who he is, you deny who Jesus is, if you deny the deity of Jesus, you make him a liar. That's the point he's making. Okay? And a lot of people say, I don't want to make God Well, yeah, when you tell, say that what he says is not true, you know, I mean, if you've done that before, you talk to somebody and you, I mean, you were even there and you saw it, and somebody said, well, it didn't happen. Well, you're making me a liar. Oh, no, I'm not calling you a liar. Well, I just told you what happened and you don't believe me. That means I'm lying. Somebody's lying here. That's what John is saying here about this. This is because he has not believed the testimony of God. Listen, the reason why you make God a liar is because you don't believe. You don't believe his testimony. That's the point he's making here. So then finally, the testimony of God is that he gave us eternal life through his son. This is the testimony. This is what you either got to believe or don't believe. Is that he gives you eternal life through Jesus, not through yourself, not through anything you've done or can do. It's because he gave you eternal life through his son, Jesus. That's the issue of what you believe or not. And if you don't believe that, you make God a liar. That's the point he's making here. So then he goes on, the one who has the son through faith has eternal life. Look, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came to die for your sins, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he forgives you, you have eternal life. It's that straightforward. It's not what you've done, what you didn't do, not who you are, who you're not. It has to do with him, not anything about yourself. This is what I need everybody to understand. Salvation has nothing to do with you. It has to do with Jesus. Okay? It has to do with Jesus. And the one who has denied the Son, John's very straightforward. He doesn't have life. He doesn't have eternal life. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for your life, you don't have life. You don't have life. So here's, the issue. here's John's purpose. John is writing Christians so that they know that they have eternal life. All right, how do you know you have eternal life here? Anybody? How do you know you have eternal life? Okay, you're trusting in the Word of God, that what He said, that Jesus died for you. That's where your trust is. Not in yourself, but in what He said. Okay, you're trusting in the testimony. Everybody agree with what Bruce is saying? That's how you know you have eternal life. Is it how you feel in the morning when you wake up? Like this morning, I didn't feel like anything except miserable. Okay? I mean, I didn't feel good this morning. Do you know what I mean? I felt like I just want to sleep a little bit longer. You know? And how many of you, even though you sleep a little bit longer, you just get up and you're just mean? Do you know what I mean? Are you just mean for the day? You know, just the day, all right? And you can't go by your feelings. You can't go by your feelings. So that's why you, I hear people, I just don't feel like a Christian. Feelings have nothing to do with it. It's what you believe what you're trusting in, what you have faith in. Okay? He goes on. He is also writing this so that they will continue to believe in Jesus. Huh? 
He's writing this, not so that you understand that you're a believer because of what you believe. He's writing this so that you will continue to believe, continue to put your faith in, continue to trust in Him alone. Because you're going to go through life and things are going to confront you and you're going to question things. That's normal. But he's reminding you of these things so that you just keep hanging on. Because what? Like in Revelation, he who overcomes, I will give. And he gives all these promises of what is there for the one who overcomes. Hang on. That's the point. Okay? All right. That's uh, our lesson today.